We're wrapping up the sermon series we've been in about uh, mastering the art of being unordinary. And we've talked about how we as Christians are to break out of the mold of this world. And the mold of this world that we're referring to is the mold of sin. It's the mold of that sort of self-centered kind of living. It's the darkness that God has rescued us out of as He has brought us into His marvelous light. It's renewing our minds and it's transforming our lives so that we look more like Jesus and less like the world, so that we're bearing the fruit of His Spirit instead of the works of the flesh. Breaking out of the mold. To stop being selfish and inwardly focused and to become selfless and to become outwardly focused and upwardly focused in our prayers, in our worship, in our thinking, and how we choose to live our lives in our worldview. And the last two Sundays we focused on how we need to then master the art of serving and master the art of giving. And I pointed out many ways that we as a church really are mastering these two arts. I think we as a church serve in a lot of great ways and give very generously to a lot of important needs. And there's always room, though, to, to work on better mastering that art, honing that craft, and of course we need to do that. But this morning as we wrap up this series, I want us to talk about another art that we need to master. And it's one that maybe we as a church, it may be our weak spot as a church. And that is mastering the art of making disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 21, after His resurrection, Jesus told His disciples, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, I am in turn sending you. Paul talked about that in our New Testament reading. That we are sent to proclaim the gospel. To tell the good news so that people can hear and know Jesus and believe in Him and follow Him. And in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus said, Go. Jesus says, I am sending you. Jesus says, Go. We are a sent people. We are a people on the go, a people on mission. This morning I want to ask you to look inside your own life. I want us as a church to take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves some honest questions. When it comes to this mission that God has sent us on, are we more like Jesus or are we more like Jonah? Remember, Jonah was sent on a mission too. And Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah was reluctant. Jonah wanted to run the other direction. Jonah would rather rather spend some time in the belly of a fish than to go and proclaim the good news to the people in Nineveh. Are we more like Jesus? Or are we more like Jonah? Are we maybe too comfortable with church the way it is? Are we more interested in nostalgia over the good old days than we are in following Jesus into His preferred future for our church? Are we so content with our circle of friends as they are right now that we really aren't interested in making room in our lives to reach out to those who are lost or to those who are new and bringing them in and making them feel welcome? To help us assess our current health when it comes to these things, when it comes to our biblical missional mandate to go into all the world and make disciples, I want to share with you some statistics. And this is not a happy, 
fuzzy kind of message this morning. I'm just going to, be, I'm going to tell you that right up front. All right? I don't intend for any of us to walk out of here today feeling good today. Right, these statistics I've come up with as a part of my doctoral work. And we're going to put this graph up. This is a 30-year history of baptisms in our church. From 1988 to 2017. Would you say that that trend is up or down? It's down. In fact, from 1988 to 2017, our church has seen an annual rate of baptisms drop by 87%. In 1988, it took 37 resident members of First Baptist Church to baptize one new believer. It took 37 members to baptize one new believer. In 2007, it took a little more than that. It took 48 for us to baptize a new believer. Last year, it took us 236, almost the entire congregation here this morning, to baptize one new believer. This is a big problem for our church. And it's a big problem for Georgia Baptist churches. Median baptisms of teenagers among Georgia Baptist churches in 2017 was zero. That means that half of all Georgia Baptist churches baptized no teenagers. The median baptisms of children among Georgia Baptist churches was three. Meaning that half of all Baptist churches in Georgia baptized less than three kids last year. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, and, and, and let's be honest, there's no shame one way or the other, but I just, I just a little experiment here. How many of you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as a child, before you were a teenager, raise your hand. Now keep your hands up. How many of you became a Christian before you were 18? Raise your hand. That is the vast majority of people in this room. So what do you think that means for us as a church and as a convention if we're baptizing zero or less teenagers, three or less children? What are we going to look like in 30 years? And this is a big problem for the Southern Baptist Convention and for evangelical churches in America across the board because nearly two-thirds of the churches of the leading state convention, that's us, that's the Georgia Baptist Convention, we're the leading state convention in the Southern Baptist Convention and nearly two-thirds of the churches in our convention of the most evangelistic denomination in the world baptized two people or less last year. We're the most evangelistic denomination in the world. And if we can't do better than two people, what is America going to look like in 30 years? This is contributing to 19 Southern Baptist churches closing their doors every week, never to open them again. And this is having a dramatic impact on young people. Depending on the stats that you read, anywhere from 59 to 80% of high school seniors graduate from high school and the church. They don't come back. Now you might say, well, David, that's a pretty big spread. 59 to 
Which is it? I want to ask you, does it matter? One high school student who walks away from the church after graduation is too much. Amen? That's unacceptable to me. And it's unacceptable that less than 0.5% of 18 to 23-year-olds have a biblical worldview. Let that sink in. According to the latest Pew Research study, 99.5% of 18 to 23-year-olds do not have a biblical worldview. Meaning they are not disciples of Jesus Christ. We will never change what we can tolerate. We will never change what we can tolerate. And I, for one, find these statistics intolerable. Do you? We cannot afford to be apathetic about this. Entire generations are at risk. Souls are in danger of spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Does that matter to you? Does it really? Let me ask you this question. How many Christmases do you think this sanctuary has left? If we don't change that graph, if we don't change those statistics, how many more trees are we going to put up right here? Before we close our doors. Fifteen? Twenty? We must do something now. We cannot postpone. We cannot kick the can down the road. We need to change our priorities as a church. And we need to change our priorities as Christians. Now, I believe that as a church... As a denomination, as a country, we've reached a point of no return. And the question before us today is, will the Great Commission be important to us or not? Will we carry out and complete God's mission for us or not? Are we ready to reach this community for Christ or not? At the Georgia Baptist Convention the other week, I heard one preacher say this, the Great Commission will become the great omission if it does not become our great obsession. What are you obsessed with? What is our church obsessed with? And he went on to use a great analogy that stuck with me. He talked about basketball, and I'd rather talk about basketball than football these days. So let's talk about basketball. (laughs) The only way a team can win a basketball game is if it does what? Puts more balls through the hoop than the other team, right? It doesn't matter how much you dribble. It doesn't matter how much you pass the ball back and forth to your teammates. It doesn't matter how fancy your footwork is. If you don't put balls through hoops, you don't win the game. Am I right? I think I understand basketball right, Ben. Is that, is that the way that works? Okay, that's what I thought. It's been a while since I've been in charge of upward. I just want to make sure that I've not forgotten. Churches today... I think we're just passing the ball back and forth to each other. We're more obsessed with our fancy footwork and with dribbling than we are putting the ball through the hoop. Because putting the ball through the hoop is every time somebody's baptized in this baptistry. Putting the ball through the hoop is every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ and follows Him in believer's baptism and is being discipled in the way of Jesus. That's putting the ball through the hoop. Everything else is fancy footwork. 
And none of that matters if we're not leading people to faith in Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission isn't complicated, y'all. It's one command with three principles and two promises. And I want us to look at that real quickly this morning. First of all, it's one command. And that one command is to make disciples of all nations. And yes, it's a command. It's an imperative that God expects us to follow. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And it's a command that Jesus repeats many times. He says it in John 20, 21, where he says that he's going to send us the way the Father sent him. He says it here in Matthew chapter 28. He says it in Luke's gospel. He says it in Mark's gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Ben was referring to in the children's sermon, he says that when we receive power from the Holy Spirit, we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. When Jesus called His disciples, He told them to follow Him so that He could make them fishers of men. Their job was to go and make more disciples. Jesus' entire ministry, Jesus didn't just mandate this for us, He modeled it. His entire ministry was about going and proclaiming the good news and making followers of Him. It's a command that Jesus expects us to obey. Now, as a pastor... I've discovered that one of the number one concerns among people is to know what God's will is. People are always asking me, David, I need to know what God's will is. How do I know what God's will is? Pray for me that I will know God's will in this. I've got to make this decision. Maybe it's a college student wanting to know where to go to school. Maybe it's a, it's a person wanting to know whether to take a job, whether to, to, to take this opportunity or to change their career path. Maybe it's some young person wanting to know if they should marry so-and-so. People want to know, what is God's will? Churches want to know God's will and making purchases and and dealing with budgets and buildings and programs and hiring staff. Churches want to know God's will. And I don't demean, I don't diminish any of that. Those are all important things and we should seek to know God's will. But there are some things that we can know with certainty is God's will for us. God has told us explicitly His overarching will for each of our lives. And if we're not going to do this one thing that God has plainly told us His will is for us, doesn't praying for God's will in other areas seem disingenuous at best? God has told us that it is His will for each one of us to be His witnesses and to make disciples. You want to know God's will for your life? That is God's will for your life. And when you stand before God in heaven, He's not going to care anything about what school you went to. He's not going to care so much about what job opportunities you took. He's going to want to know, did you make disciples? Because that is God's will for each of us. The Great Commission tells us plainly, are you doing it? If you're making disciples, then you're living within God's will. You're being obedient. If you're not making disciples, you're not living in God's will and you are being disobedient. You may say, well, David, what does it mean, though, to make disciples? What does that mean? What is this one mission? The one mission, the one imperative in this passage, there's only one imperative. For those of you who remember your English, what an imperative is, there's only one imperative in this whole passage, and it's the imperative, make disciples. 
That's it. Everything else, go, baptize, teach, they are all there to modify the imperative, make disciples. Now, our church has a distinct context of ministry. We're in Thompson, McDuffie County, Georgia, and the United States of America. That's, that's our context of ministry. We have lots of different programs and ministries. You know, youth and children and senior adult and choir and drive through nativity and you name it. But everything we do must be about fulfilling this one mission. Everything we do needs to be about making disciples. Everything else is just dribbling the ball. So what does it mean to make disciples? It means that we are to share the good news of the King who came to earth and conquered sin and death that we might live forever with Him. It's to go and to proclaim to people, for God so loved you, that even though you're a sinner and you're in rebellion against God and you're destined to be separated from Him, God loved you so much that Jesus came and He died for you. That if you believe in Him, you'll be saved. That's the gospel. And to make disciples is to proclaim the gospel, to lead people to faith in Christ, to incorporate them into a New Testament church, and to help them to live in the way of Jesus. This requires more than just meeting people's needs. It requires more than just inviting them to come hear some preaching. It involves helping them to become involved in a church and live in the way of Jesus. Now, the three other verbs in this passage help us understand what it means to make a disciple. How do you make disciples? What does it mean to make a disciple? Let's look at those three principles. Okay, the first is go. And that means that we are to intentionally pursue people. To go is to intentionally pursue people. Go is pretty straightforward, isn't it? If somebody says go, you pretty much know what to do, don't you? You're supposed to go. Get up, move, vacate, go somewhere else. Go. It means that we have to do more than just pray for people who go. For us to go. Now, I'm not, I'm not diminishing prayer. Don't get me wrong. Prayer is essential. Many times in Paul's letters, he asked for others, like in Ephesians 6.19, he asked them to pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And Paul often prayed and asked for his other churches to pray for the gospel to bear fruit and grow around the world. But Paul put actions to his prayers because Paul went and he made disciples and he planted churches. Now we as a church, we, you know, we pray for missionaries. In your bulletin today is a prayer calendar for December so you can pray for missionaries, so you can pray for people who are going. And they're going to the ends of the earth. They're going to the nations, and we should pray for them. But we cannot stop at praying for them. To go means that we can't stop at giving for others who go. Again, giving our tithe and our offerings to, to, so the gospel can be spread around the world is essential, and it's even commanded. But we can't just stop at our Lottie Moon offering and then pat ourselves on the back and say, I've fulfilled the Great Commission. No, you haven't. You've been a partner in helping someone else fulfill the Great Commission. To go means that we have to go then more than just on occasion. Now, our church provides lots of great opportunities for people to go. To go to Honduras, to go to West Virginia, to go to Gatlinburg. We have lots of local opportunities to go. 
We go through the drive-thru nativity. We go through upper basketball. We go through VBS. We go when we go and we work and help at manna. And we want everyone to be involved in those opportunities. But there's a danger that we do our one-and-done moment of service and feel like I've accomplished the Great Commission. But the Greek word translated go carries with it the idea of continually going. It's not a one-time go. In fact, a better translation would be as you go. Jesus is saying, as you go, make disciples. As you go about your daily life, Make disciples. Yes, we are to intentionally go. Yes, we are to go to Honduras, and we're to go to West Virginia, and we're to go to Gatlinburg. Yes, we're to go to our community. Yes, we're to go specifically to people to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's to knock on a door. Maybe it's to pick up the phone and make a phone call specifically for this person. But we also, as we go about our daily lives with our coworkers and our family and friends and our neighbors and teenagers and young people and our classmates, as you go about your daily life, have your eyes and your ears open to see when the Holy Spirit may prompt you to share the gospel with somebody. To pray with someone in need. To share a Bible passage to encourage them that God has laid on your heart. As you go. And, And listen, teenagers, you have got the greatest mission field in the world. Your school. Your school is filled with people. You, you want to talk about minorities? You are in the minority as a Christian in your school. I promise you that. And it's only going to get worse. You have a unique opportunity. This isn't something you have to wait until you're a grown-up to do. You don't have to wait until you're a deacon. You can be on mission sharing the gospel at your school today. And that's true for all of us. As we go, Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What was Jesus sent to do? In Luke 19, 10, he tells us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came to pursue those who were far from God, going where they were, fellowshipping with them, meeting their needs, all for the purpose of changing their lives by his transforming grace. And we are sent to do the same. Going not just once, not just twice, not just praying, not just giving. Those are important things. We are to go throughout our daily lives and make disciples. You don't have to wait for a church program. You don't have to wait for an emphasis from the pulpit. Tomorrow morning, as you get up and go about your day, go and make disciples. The second verb is baptize. And that means that we involve them in a local church. Now, for someone to be baptized means they've made a profession of faith in Jesus, right? They've repented of their sins. They've trusted in Christ. They've freely received His gift of eternal life. Baptism does not save you. You're saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you become a Christian. But being baptized means that you've chosen to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, as a member of His church. Baptism is the way that followers of Jesus obediently show that they have received new life in Christ. Baptism is not an optional thing. It's not a bonus step. It is an essential first act of obedience to your Lord and Savior. I want to ask you, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation this morning, if you consider yourself a Christian and you've not been baptized, what's keeping you back from that? What's holding you back? 
My prayer today is that you would joyfully come forward and let this church know that you belong to Jesus. And that you want to display that. You're proud of that. And you want to show the world. You want to celebrate and proclaim that joy of knowing Jesus through baptism. But by identifying with Him. With His death and His resurrection. And moms and dads, I want to encourage you to pray and, and talk with your children about this. Encourage them in this first step of faith. This act of obedience. And moms and dads, listen, I'm going to tell you, your children won't feel an urgency to be baptized if you don't communicate that urgency to them. And I would love nothing more than to talk with you about baptizing your children that have put their faith in Christ. But also, when Jesus tells us to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, He's instructing us to incorporate every disciple into a community of disciples who identify themselves by the name of the triune God. To be baptized is more than just to be dunked in some water. It's to unite with a community of fellow believers. It's to be on that team of superheroes that Ben was talking about. Because being a true Christian disciple cannot be done on your own. It must be done in community with others. Jesus didn't just go calling individuals to follow Him. He called a group. He called twelve. And He sent that twelve out to expand that group by bringing others in. Discipleship can only happen in the context of the local body of Christ. And really, it, can, it happens best in small groups. Now, Jesus did His deepest teaching, not with the crowds, but with the twelve. And, and then He took three of them aside and went even deeper with those three. The best discipleship doesn't happen in this hour on a Sunday morning. It happens in the hour before this one. It happens as you sit among a small group of believers studying the Word of God, praying together, fellowshipping together, serving together, growing in community together. And I want to encourage every one of you, if you don't have a small group, if you're not in a Sunday school class, we want you to be in one. And then the last verb is teach. To baptize is to involve them in a local church, but to teach is to invest in them by mentoring them one-on-one. And that's what Jesus was doing with the twelve every day. As they ate and walked along the road, He was training them not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. This morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, again, you can't do it alone. You need to deepen your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ in small groups, but even beyond that, in one-on-one relationships. Who has God put in your life that could be your one person? That you could bring and you could put your arm around and you could walk with them and help them to grow in their faith. Maybe it's somebody who's a younger Christian than you. I mean, they may be older than you, but in Christ they're younger than you. They're newer believers than you. And you can put your arm around them and you can pray for them. You can encourage them. You can hold them accountable. You can invite them to Sunday school. Who is your one that God would have you to pour your life into in a discipling, mentoring Relationship. You know, Paul often in his letters talking to churches he planted or to young pastors like Timothy and Titus that he mentored, he often used an analogy of parent and child. He saw them as his spiritual children. How many spiritual children do you have? How many people will be in heaven because of you? Because you took the time to share Christ with them. Because you took the time to encourage them in their faith. This is how in 70 years the church grew from 120 in an upper room to over 1 million. 
See, addition produces incremental growth, but multiplication produces exponential growth. And that's every one of us reaching one, and then they reach one, and they reach one. And if the church could start from 120 and transform the pagan, brutal, hedonistic Roman Empire, then certainly we can help transform the United States of America. One person at a time. Now all this seems daunting, I know. All of this seems like a monumental task. And yes, the hope of the world rests on the church of Jesus Christ fulfilling the Great Commission. And you may think, David, I just don't feel up to the task. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel capable of going and sharing the gospel and making disciples. I know how you feel. Every Christian knows how you feel. None of us feel worthy or capable. We live in a dark and broken world. And the truth is, I can't change anybody. I can't change anybody's mind. I can't make anybody's choice for them. I cannot save the world. But that's why Jesus gives us two amazing promises in this passage. And the first promise is He promises us His authority. He says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Jesus' authority is the foundation of the Great Commission. Our King has absolute sovereign authority over everything and everyone. And that should give us boldness because we go into this world as His ambassadors. We go with His authority behind us. And there's not a person that you're going to talk to that Jesus isn't sovereign King over their lives. And therefore, we can go boldly to proclaim the Gospel. We can boldly and lovingly speak His truth into the lives of others. We can unapologetically follow Jesus and make disciples because all authority in heaven and on earth is His, and He's the one who has sent us. The second promise is His presence. His presence will always be with us. Yes, on our own, the Great Commission is impossible. It is not just a huge and daunting task. It is an impossible mission. But both Paul and Jesus warned us that though we're going to face trouble and opposition in this world, we should not fear because He is with us. His Spirit is in us, empowering us to go and proclaim the good news. Imagine Jesus physically by your side while you go and fight and pray and give and share. Because we have received this indescribable gift of God's grace, He has given us an indescribable responsibility to go to all peoples, to share Jesus, to pray with our friends, to invite our co-workers to church, to pray for, to give to, and to go on missions to the ends of the earth. This is our mission. This is our mandate. This is our sacred duty and honor. Now, and either, until either Christ calls me home or He returns in glory, that is my job. And that is God's will for my life. It is my prayer that God will give each of us a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. It is my prayer that none of us in this room can be apathetic and tolerate the state of our world and our community. The lostness of our neighbors, our co-workers, our family and friends. My prayer is that God would give us a deep and abiding burden for the lost and an overwhelming confidence in His authority and His presence and in His power with us. And that we would not only be a disciple-making church, but that we would be a church of disciple-makers. 
Someone here this morning may need to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior today. Now, you can't be a disciple maker unless you're first a disciple, right? Maybe this morning you need to come and put your trust in Christ for salvation. Come and see Jesus for yourself so that you can go and tell others. Maybe someone else here this morning needs to take that first step of obedience and be baptized. And proclaim, you know, you've already been, you're already a Christian. You've already accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized. Come this morning. Present yourself to this church so that we can baptize you and let you experience the joy and the power of that blessed moment. Maybe this morning God has convicted you about your prayer life. About your level of stewardship, your level of giving to God's mission. Maybe this morning you feel convicted that you need to be a part of a, of a Sunday school class or a small group. Perhaps you need to pray for those that you know are lost. Pray for those that you need to disciple. Maybe this morning you just need to commit to God. To make the shot. Share the gospel. Lead someone to Christ and disciple them. May that be your obsession. May that be my obsession. May that be our obsession as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to us. Not just to heal some sick folk. Not just to feed some hungry people, but to save us from eternal damnation in hell. To rescue us from our sin and ourselves. To bring us from darkness into light. To make us from your enemies to your sons and your daughters. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us the good news to share with other people. And forgive us for dropping the ball. Forgive us for taking our eyes off the goal. And help us this morning, Lord, to be recommitted to going and telling and leading other people to Jesus and helping them to walk in His footsteps.